Ugh. Are we good? Okay. Yes, we are. Sammy boy, do you mind doing me a big solid and hitting that button right over there? Yes, master. No, not that one! This is the Inciting Moment Podcast. My name's Ian, your host here. Who else here is with me? I have just been woken up from a nap due to a very large noise and a button press. Hi. Uh, <coughs> hi, I'm Sam. Uh, nice to meet you. And, uh, yeah, this is the Inciting Moment Podcast. Uh, sorry for that little uh, technical folly of ours. Um, we just happen to have one of those buttons that causes uh, spontaneous combustion. But, you know, who doesn't? You know? I like to think most recording studios have that. I mean, I know how to push buttons, just not the right ones. Oh, that's <laughs> what that button was. I, I shouldn't have switched the, the button display with the staples button then. Yeah, that was too easy. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, for those of you who are uh, tuning back in after uh, keeping up with our usual episodic adventures... Uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've been away for a little bit, but now we're back. Our little hiatus was just due to the fact that, well, really, it was mainly of my own idea, because, uh, as host, I was just having a lot on my plate in terms of, uh, some life-related stuff, as well mm -hmm. as, uh, having to work a little bit extra at the job that I have, uh, in order to qualify for the insurance that they offer through it. Uh, but with that behind me, uh, I've been able to clear up my schedule and actually be able to put some more time into this. And, uh, yeah, we're going to get back at it. Life finds a way. Exactly. Exactly. And, hey, we're coming back revitalized after a mm. nice cleansing break and whatnot. And we got some ideas for all y'all. But, of course, with any return, you got to start it a little simple, you know straightforward do what is simple yet effective and today ladies and gentlemen let me tell you something we got quite the show for you given that it is still the spooky season of halloween we're going to be talking about our personal favorite halloween flick picks mm -hmm. and uh i'm just going to say right now given that each of us picked our own favorite film to watch for the season what a lineup this is. <laughs> oh, I know. Like, oh my, you guys, you guys, you knocked it out of the park, you know? It was, ooh, I'm very happy with this. I guess it does kind of show just the variety and, like, the different spooky season movies that you can really sit down and say, yeah, Halloween. <laughs> I mean, that's really the beautiful thing about scary movies and the horror movies genre as it and just a general concept because it's so versatile because there's so many things that scare people, you know, that they, oh, they, can get, they can get so creative with it, so wild with it. And it's just a, it's just a groundbreaking genre in general because they're not, well, sometimes they're afraid to try new things, but most often they try new things. It's pretty badass most of the time. Yes. Some and the of the beautiful time. thing about uh, the horror genres that there's just so many subgenres and stuff like that. You got sci-fi horror. You got, you know, uh, <laughs> not my go-to, 
But um, it you know you got yourself some body horror in the case of uh, Hellraiser and uh, one of our feature films, The Thing. Yep. Uh, done mm-hmm. by the ever legendary John Carpenter. But you know more on that once we get to it. I'm just saying, Jesus was a carpenter. You got the classic Grindhouse horror as well. If you're a Grindhouse movie fan, oh, absolutely. Fantasy horror, child horror, scary stories telling the dark, everything, man. It's got everything in there. Oh, yeah, there's a different, like, flavor of horror for different crowds of people, you know? And uh, with each pick, of course, we'll be sure to explain our reasonings why, yeah, you know what? This is my Halloween movie. This is the one I go to every season, or at least most seasons, you know? Mm -hmm. Because it depends. Some years... Uh, I sit there and say, yeah, uh, it's the movie I picked out. But then other times, like, strangely enough, last Halloween, um, I actually thought something that felt pretty fitting was actually watching the uh, the Tim Burton Batman movies, one of which we actually reviewed a couple weeks ago, or should I say months because of our hiatus, but, you know, whatevs. It, there's, there's just so many different flavors of horror, you know? And it all has something... For the particular mood that you're in for and stuff like that. Hell, there's even a genre called hillbilly. Thank you, Rob Zombie. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you, Rob Zombie, for your wonderful, wonderful contributions. <laughs> <laughs> Brought to you in part by viewers like you. Thank you. Oh God! Now I'm picturing any one of these films like having a PBS Kids little memo before the movie starts. <laughs> Dude, that'd be amazing. <laughs> I would love if uh, one of these opened up with it, and I know specifically which one. I'm gonna. I'm. Y- you'll know. You'll know. Oh, of course, of course. Today's episode is one about trust. <laughs> hey, he knows. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. <laughs> uh, Have you ever looked at your neighbor and asked yourself, "Is that my neighbor, or is that a thing from outer space?" Or know. is that a cosmic abomination waiting to just assimilate me into his biomass? Who knows? <laughs> or it could be worse. It could be a teenager. Uh, yeah. yeah anyway. It could be. All right. So let's start off with one of our first picks. The one that I picked out for this little trifecta of horror films. That being the 1999 adaptation of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, simply called Sleepy Hollow. Directed, of course, by the ever-iconic Tim Burton. Now, this one was an interesting one. There was always a particular uh, sort of flavor horror that I kind of had a soft spot for, and one that I always just found approachable. Not only for Halloween, even though it is very fitting, in my opinion, but really one that I feel like I could watch any time of the year, frankly, uh, and that is just the gothic sort of uh, horror. Because something about that atmosphere I, I just like. It has so much character to it, and mm-hmm. this very much captures that on uh, multiple levels when it comes yeah. to uh, filmmaking, uh, lighting, cinematography, costume, wardrobe, effects, and stuff like that. Very Tim Burton-y. Kind of really, uh, yes, up, very really up his alley, obviously. Uh, yeah, and actually, um, in a similar vein to uh, how he handled uh, his take on Batman, uh, this one is also not the most accurate to the original source material. 
And I actually thought that that was the most interesting part. Uh, it does take its uh, deviations from it, which, of course, we'll go into detail as we go along. But uh, to give a synopsis for those who have not seen this, uh, even though I'm just going to say right now for me, it is most certainly a recommendation. Put this on your watch list for the season. Sleepy Hollow has been having something go bump in the night in the form of a literal headless horseman uh, killing off many of the townsfolk of the uh, small town of Sleepy Hollow. And uh, <clears throat> a detective by the name of Ichabod Crane is actually called in to help uh, uncover the reasoning and the pattern behind the headless horseman murders to try and make some sense of this unnatural foe to the town. And as he spends more and more time in the town of Sleepy Hollow, he comes to find out that there's something a little more nefarious about the happenings within the town, more specifically between the town's folk. There is a surprising amount of uh, intrigue not just in terms of like, oh, who's the Headless Horseman and stuff like that, and why is he going about killing people, but no, rather amongst just the uh, personal uh, motives behind some of the members of the town. And Ichabod, uh, on top of trying to uh, better understand this supernatural entity, is also trying to make sense of the uh, questionable antics within the town. So general thoughts, gentlemen, what did you think of tim burton's sleepy hollow that was all right in terms of general thoughts something i do want to mention and i'll my, explain my more reaction when we get might to... not seem very much but that's about it's a, that, that's yeah about i it. was gonna say <laughs> got you okay so before i had to get into my general thoughts one thing i'm i want to bring up now but really explain further in pan's labyrinth it, it's almost kind of funny how out of these three this is the most like not necessarily cartoony, but I kind of, yeah, I'll, I'll go with cartoony movie out of the three, considering Pan's Labyrinth is technically, you know, like a child's fairy tale. But I gotta say, I, I really liked this movie. You know, I, I, I liked its gothic Tim Burton style. I mean, it's, it really is when, it, when, you, when you think about the spirit of Halloween, like in a more modern sense, and it's kind of, you know, flashy, cartoony, dress up, you know the pro those kind of properties about it. This, this movie really matches that bill. It's it's like you said, it's gothic. With gothic is a beautiful, uh, gothic is a very distinct style. Like you, you yes. can uh, yes. you can you can usually tell when something's gothic. It, it it a lot of the you know character of the movie is driven by this fashion to the movie, and I I really like how he Tim Burton and just the whole thing gets stuck to that, and took this old. Halloween -y story about the town of Sleepy Hollow and, and, and modernized it and kind of did his own thing with it. And I think that's really where the movie shines. Is it a perfect movie? God, no. Not not many movies are. But I, what yeah. it did, I really, really liked. And that's my general thoughts about it. Gotcha. Well, what about you, Harrison? How about you go ahead and uh, elaborate on your thoughts? Give, um, us the, give us the longest meh you've ever given. Yes. Well, so... <laughs> Well, let me let me set the scene real quick. All right. Okay. I, in my my brilliance, thought Genius. the best way to immerse myself in a horror movie is to watch it late at night. 
And mm. it turns out it's kind of all foggy when you watch a movie at 1 a.m. Um, oh. That's <laughs> what um, you feel the most. Yeah. Yeah, I would think get, so. Get a, you're really in it in the moment. Yeah, it's great. Then you wake up afterwards and you're like, I kind of remember it. It was good. Yeah. Fun time. I remember it was fun. I getcha. I getcha. But I can't tell you much else besides that. I'm going to be real. Um, ah. Something, I guess the best way to put it is it just wasn't one of those movies that kind of stuck with me, you know? I can remember watching it, yes, but... I don't know. It just it just didn't hit those notes for me that makes it like drill into my mind where I just never forget it. It slid off your brain like water. Yeah, which is yeah. always a good thing to have a movie that kind of does that. Sometimes, sometimes it's just good to throw in a movie that you don't really want to think too much about. Mm-hmm. Good time yeah. user. True. Something in the background. No, I get yeah. that. But Ian, please, what what hooked you to this movie? Is it nostalgia? I mean, it's from 1999. We are reaching the point where the 90s kids are reaching 30. But that's another existential horror that's not part of this <laughs> Halloween special. That's the so. next. <laughs> that's of course. Indeed. Um. Well, I guess in a way, uh, given the fact that I have said before that I have a soft spot for most films that were done in the 90s or 2000s just because I liked the kind of experimentation that they had going on, I suppose that has a slight hand in it given that, hey, it was uh, before when things are being shot on digital, and I've really grown to appreciate uh, films that are on actual real film stock, because it just has all the texture and stuff like that. Um, but, I mean, to be honest, I actually don't have any nostalgic memories of Sleepy Hollow. This was not one of those movies I saw when I was a kid. I just remember coming across it reading some stuff on it, and one of the things I read was that uh, Sleepy Hollow is one of those sort of throwback movies to a sort of bygone era of horror films, which at the time had the nickname of Hammer Horror, usually because it was done by a studio called, I think, Hammer Pictures, or Hammer Films, or something like that. The thing about the Hammer Films was that they were notorious for having very ridiculous effects and often very over-the-top performances and stuff like that and when i was reading up on these sort of traits of those films uh, i started seeing them left and right in sleepy hollow uh, for one thing the blood effects that they usually have uh you know splatter all over the place it's like this candy bright red <laughs> that when you look at it, it's just like okay that looks like paint but, like, it gets the, the, the point across, like, oh, yes, blood all over the place. Just all over that and stuff. I kind of like the idea of throwback films that take this sort of classic subgenre or just type of movie, but they sort of uh, revisit it with some of the modern trappings. And as you do, there is some early CGI in this movie, uh, which... <laughs> D does not age well, um, but I mean, for uh, being a throwback to old horror B-movies, hey, it works for me anyway, you know. It it's ridiculous looking, but so is a good chunk of the movie and stuff like that. And I guess really, uh, <laughs> I just really like Johnny Depp in this movie. Yeah, I do. I, I do like him. 
It's it's yeah. it's his quirky stage before the quirkiness got annoying. I don't know. Like if I had to put a word to his performance in this movie, it almost seemed like he was um, interestingly like feminine from time to times. And and granted that, that that's also because Ichabod himself he he's not like a like a strong manly man by any means. No, he's he's still a, a somewhat scrawny dude that mainly relies on his wits rather than like actual physical presence and whatnot. And I think the most interesting part, uh, if we can go into um, the whole angle I was talking about, about how, yeah, this is not the most accurate depiction of Sleepy Hollow, is Ichabod is uh, no longer the just, like, you know, conniving um, coward that he was in the original story. He's he's actually like this heroic, uh, witty sort of do-gooder that's trying to get to the bottom of the mystery and stuff like that. Um, and I actually thought it was an interesting touch that because the Headless Horseman is this, like, unnatural, uh, presence that he just can't fully comprehend, he's actually scared of him. You know? Yeah. He actually expresses, like, genuine fear about, like, yeah, no, 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 that's an actual Headless Horseman, and he just came out of a tree out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm a man of science, that's fucked. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's <laughs> you know, he, he's he goes, he's being he, honest. He goes back to New York and grabs a pistol and says, mm, Sleepy Hollow's haunted." <laughs> yeah. No, but that is another thing I really did like about this movie is the character, the main character Ichabod is obviously imperfect. I I, mm -hmm. I would just say he's not heroic at first. He's doing there just because he he knows magic ain't real. So, you know, he's a man of science, of evidence, everything like that because it's the superstition that got his mother killed. Mm -hmm. So he comes in with full confidence that this guy's probably just a madman or whatever, what have you. And when he starts seeing this mystical mumbo jumbo, he's just scared. And he even thinks about leaving. He comes back, though, and it's it, the it's the bravery through his cowardice that, you know, shines through. That really makes him into a more interesting character. And overall, just, you know, it's nice to see an arc. It's always good to see arcs in characters, no matter what movie it is. You, the character has to change. I've said this multiple times, and I'll say this till the end of my life. Characters have to change during the course of a movie, unless it's like, some weird exception to the movie where the whole point is that they don't change. But that's what yeah. thing I really liked about the movie is the imperfection of the characters and how it added to the overall experience. Yeah, yeah. Because at least I, you know, obviously this is probably more the case in like horror movies, but it was kind of refreshing to see a main character that, yes, he, he is very fearful about what's going on, but he perseveres through his fear uh, regardless and still uses his wit to sort of, uh, you know, solve the problem and stuff like that. But, uh, I mean, we, we, I, I also just need to take a second because, god damn, the Headless Horseman is amazing in this movie. I, he, he was easily one of the best parts of the movie for me. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the secret for, uh, good slasher style movies or any sort of movie where the prominent feature isn't the protagonist but the villain mm -hmm. they, they gotta be eye-catching which is kind of funny in this movie considering spoiler 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 that technically the headless horseman isn't really even the bad guy yeah no. that's true the headless horseman is actually being controlled by one of the townsfolk and that's one of the um things that ichabod happens to discover it's just that oh somebody's making him do this and so he kind of narrows down who it could possibly be he narrows it down that it could be 
uh, potentially um, his love interest in the movie. He narrows down that it could be his love interest's father. But as it turns out, no, it was his love interest's stepmother (laughs) who happened to just have no problem with killing off several of the townsfolk in order to get shit done and use the Headless Horseman for her own selfish gain. Which I do want to point out, because uh, her whole thing is that she was trying to gain control and ownership of her uh, husband's estate, and the whole family estate, which I find interesting because technically that is a concept that was in the original Sleepy Hollow story. Mm Because for those who read it, the whole thing was that um, Ichabod was trying to uh, sneak his way into having ownership of uh, someone's estate, uh, which that is still a thing that's happening in this, but it's been blown up from just one person's conniving actions to take that estate into his own hands into, oh, it's a whodunit murder mystery. And that is at the forefront of the person's motives, which I thought was a neat evolution of the original story's um main conflict of 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 who gets the ownership of the estate i kind of like that it's an interesting uh you know way of uh making a short story like that uh much more interesting for a film and stuff like that yeah it's it's a tale as old as time ian no one can afford to buy a house (laughs) <laughs> Some things oh never god exactly and harrison was there anything yes. you really liked about the movie um well ian kind of mentioned it earlier i i like the design of the headless horseman i'm gonna be mm-hmm. honest mm-hmm. i was a big fan of the animated headless horseman movie as a kid and seeing a live action version is nice and i do mm-hmm. love how they did his design yes it's also yeah. helped by the fact that uh, he's technically played by Christopher Walken, and uh, just the idea of Christopher Walken being the the headless horseman is just absolutely hilarious to me. Yeah, I mean, honestly, <laughs> especially <laughs> design and style is definitely the uh, movie's strongest points. I think the weakness of the movie, however, is that it you know hasn't aged the best. You know, what I mean, in terms of I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's just I feel like it's it shows that it's from the nineties. You know what I mean? I suppose, you, yeah. I would say that that's that's the only we real weakness I could see in it. Um, yeah. And the only thing it's and this is gonna sound very hoity toity, but it's it's not a super incredibly deep movie. And that's not necessarily a negative unless you're really looking for something that's deep. It's a fun jaunt. It's a fun, it a fun horror film. movie. Yeah, it's got some pretty, you know, it's got some pretty scary moments, but it, it, you know, it's it's got a bunch of sillier moments too, you know. Oh yeah, and it's it's just fun. It's it's a fun little horror movie, and that's why it's like perfect for the Halloween season. Yes, and a lot of that really does just come down to the style and atmosphere it has, and really, I think that's what people are in for uh, when they watch it. Mm-hmm. Um. It's for just the atmosphere and style and just general entertainment of the movie, you know. It's got a decent cast and stuff like that. It really I, I kind of wish that um, they utilized Christopher Lee a bit more. I understand that that's, you know, top dollar, of course. But, yeah. Um, 
you know, it was neat. Which also, I want to point out another little reference to the uh, Hammer Horror films from back in the day is that uh, in the scene where um, Christopher Lee, who's uh, essentially some kind of judge or whatever, um, he actually uh, tasks Ichabod with going to Sleepy Hollow and solving the, the mystery at hand. And what I found interesting is that there are these pair of wings, I believe bat wings or something like that, right behind him. And if I'm not mistaken, that was a reference to when Christopher Lee himself was Dracula, which I was like, oh, 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 I see what you did there. Well, I mean, shit, when you have the man, the myth, the legend on board, you've got to reference shit, you know? You could also see the Dracula thing, too, as a reference to Hammer Horror, given that uh, Hammer Studios did Dracula, like, back in the 50s. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, and that's the that's the big reference, of course. You know, I thought it would maybe have been interesting if Christopher Lee, for example, was the Headless Horseman, but then we would miss out on uh, Christopher Walken's uh, insane hairdo and uh, prosthetic teeth that he wears in the flashback of the Headless Horseman's origins, because, oh my god, every time I see that scene, I just laugh so hard. <laughs> he looks so goofy, and I love it. He really does. I mean, would you would you describe this movie as scary? I don't know about scary. It's got a couple moments where it gets, you know, definitely spooky or creepy, but I think that's also um, a advantage that the movie has is that it is very approachable for those kind of people where, you know, they, they, they want a Halloween movie to watch around the season, but they don't want to be, like, uh, losing sleep because they're too scared by whatever movie and stuff like that. Like, you're not going to be um, scared going to the bathroom at 1 a.m. Exactly. <laughs> well, maybe a little bit. I mean, there's some, there's one or two scenes where, you know, like the witch under the tree and stuff like that. Like, oh, I mean, on? yes, that, that did kind of take me for surprise. <laughs> maybe I can, that maybe I should turn the lights on when I go up the stairs, you know, just in case. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe I'll just kind of flick that on and, and maybe the hallway light and maybe the bathroom light and, you know, maybe I'll just keep it on overnight. Well, why, why not? What, what's a little couple extra dollars on the electrical bill? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Did this movie scare you, Harrison? Uh, not really. I I am a, a very big horror fan, so mm-hmm. what a, that is part of why the suggestion that I have thrown in here for my movie choice isn't the most horrific horror movie I know. It's mm-hmm. just one that's different. Yeah, I'd say so. I, I'd say the one that you picked has, like, small little inklings of... Um, you know, creepy moments and stuff like that. Uh, especially with the, the, the one monster that I'm pretty sure uh, people have seen before, but they just didn't realize, oh, it's from this movie. Oh, the yeah, pale it's man? definitely the Spanish. Uh, yeah. I, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I know what it is when you say it that way. Uh, uh, no. Overall, good movie. Great Halloween flick. Yeah. Not the scariest movie, and if you're looking for, like, big scares and horrible existential crises, maybe it won't supply to that, but if you're looking for a perfect Halloween night, you're with your buds or with your family or with your girlfriend, and you're in the mood for a nice, fun jaunt of the Halloween fall feel, it's the mm-hmm. perfect movie just yeah. for that. Or Oh, absolutely. 
Or if you're having a Halloween party and you need something to throw on your TV to really set the atmosphere where people are just kind of eating and going about, this is a perfect choice. Mm-hmm. I would say so, too. It's it, it's uh, very entertaining, very nice cast, and one thing that I will also just add on before we uh, you know wrap up this little segment, um, Danny Elfman doing the soundtrack. Uh, excellent, as always. I know... Um, there were a couple tracks that I was listening to during the movie that sounded like it could have been used in any one of his other movies. Uh, there was even one that I was like, wait, wait is, is this just being ripped straight from the Batman soundtrack? But, I mean, otherwise, it still has quite a few tracks. I was like, oh, this this is just perfect. It mm-hmm. is perfect for the atmosphere. And I could not have been happier with it. And yeah, uh, Christopher Walken as the uh, Headless Horseman. Um, possibly uh, best possible choice. Shit. <laughs> I said so little, In my opinion, so anyway. much. But, uh, you know, I, this mo- next movie we're about to talk about, I mean, I couldn't really see it as a horror movie at all. It was very, it was a very childlike movie. I would admit, admit that David Bowie's bulge is kind of horrific. But, I mean, you're the one who picked Labyrinth, so I mean, I, I think you're talking about the wrong Labyrinth. Oh no, which which Labyrinth were we supposed to watch? Uh, Pan's Labyrinth, the one that's eh. fully in Spanish. Ah, look, if I'm going to watch okay. a movie, I'm not going to read it. <laughs> Fair point, but this one I kind of picked because it's a different type of horror. It's more akin to a suspenseful movie and the fact that the horror of it is just people stuck in a war and trying to get by. And it has these fantastical elements of this young girl retreating into a fantasy world, but really all of the most horrific scenes have to do with the uh, the captain. Uh, I mean, yes. I have a lot to say about that, but before we really get into that, would you mind describing Pan's Labyrinth a little bit? Yes, the, so like two Pan's Labyrinth on. is a wonderful movie about uh, old folklore, and it's set in 1944 in Spain. So it's a fascist-controlled Spain, and the movie canonically happens during the events of D-Day, because about halfway through the movie, they hear about uh, that D-Day had just happened. And... Mm-hmm. Essentially, there's a young girl named Ophelia. This is all during the Spanish Civil War, um, where her mother married a captain who's part of the you know, fascist dictatorship. And they've moved out to the woods, and the reasoning why is the captain's out there because he's hunting for rebels. And Ophelia does not want to accept this captain at all as her father. And eventually finds her way into this labyrinth in the woods and meets a fawn, which is a half-goat, half-man, who tells her that she's actually a long-lost princess from the Underrealm and has to pass through three trials to go back home. And the whole movie is a sort of back-and-forth of the horrors happening in the real world to her trying to retreat into this fantasy. Man, where do you even start with this movie? Oh, I know. This is an interesting one to sort of approach. Because at first I didn't know what to make of it, but after having some time to, like, let my thoughts sort of uh, percolate and whatnot, um, I have a better idea of it. But, I mean, hey, what did we overall think of Pan's Labyrinth? 
This is one of my favorites. I will say that much. I mean, just in general? Who, lad? Good God. <laughs> Who? He kind of, when I first saw the trailers for it so long ago, so long ago now, it's kind of crazy to think about. You know, I'd, I was expecting a more, you know, fantasy esque, you know, trek through. It's like a Narnia. You know, I, I was expecting like a Narnia when I first saw the trailer oh so long ago. And man, yeah, no, it was uh, Narnia if it was hooked to meth. But <laughs> <laughs> accurate. So it's it's a very good film. It's an incredible film. It's it's horror in the fact of the horrors of reality. With, you know, as Harrison said, this this fantasy world interwoven through the eyes of this child. And in terms of just general thoughts, like I said, it's fucking amazing. What I really, really, really liked about this movie in the shortest way possible is how fucking real it felt. It didn't hide anything. If something awful is about to happen and they cut away, when they come back to it, that awful thing has happened and you see the results. And I love that. It's a movie that treats you like an adult, that treats you that it doesn't take you for a fool or try to hide anything. It just shows it all to your face and they do it so very well. And it's my general thoughts. It's mm, chef's kiss. Yeah, I thought this was a, a, a wonderful wonderful little i'd say like you know suspense thriller kind of uh dark fantasy uh romp that of course has guillermo del toro written all over it (laughs) absolutely (laughs) let me just say right now guillermo i see his name all over it especially in the creature designs my speaking of the creature designs my actual favorite thing riot is mm-hmm. whenever the fawn is walking around, those aren't CGI legs. The guy is actually wearing like a bent stilt. So that's why it has that strange kind of walk to it, because the actual actor's walking like that. Yeah, you know, I, I will say integrating uh you know the 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 creature costumes like that, I I wasn't able to like see and go, oh, so that's like on wires, right? That 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 has like no, I was sitting there going, wait, how how does that costume work? I'm kind of curious now. And so it's just interesting knowing that, you know, bent stilts and stuff. Yeah, I mean, Del Toro has always had a really good mind for making movie monsters. And his he, he really liked using practical because it really does help the feeling of the monster that it is in there, that it's real. And all the monster designs of this film are fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. And iconic. And iconic, which really helps make the movie immortal in its own way, especially with the use of practical effects. Oh, yes. And I mean, I was also paying mention to uh, one of the other monsters that I'm pretty sure people have seen pictures or clips of said monster, even if they have not heard of or even seen Pan's Labyrinth before. And that is um, the Pale Man, <laughs> the man that literally has his eyes in his hands. <laughs> Yep, the the child eater himself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I have no evidence of that. We haven't seen him eat a child. Spoilers alert. Just saying. We we have seen his paintings of himself eating children. Eh, fan art. And his giant stack of children's <laughs> shoes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just 
It's it's glorified deviant art. We we can't use that. We we can't use implicit evidence. Yeah, he just got a bunch of four. Do, so what? Does a fairy count as a child? Because he eats oh. one of those. I'm pretty sure those are oh. bugs, according to the lore of this movie. Yeah, actually, uh, so I I am curious. Are are those just shape shifting bugs, or are so... do the fairies turn into bugs to like obscure themselves in the normal world? So it's the the latter as opposed to the former essentially one of the myths with a lot of fairies is that they do something called glamoring which is using magic to change what they look like mm-hmm. so ah. fairies in folklore people who can't perceive them they just don't see them there or they'll see something else that's why at the very end uh the captain doesn't see her talking to anyone she's just standing there now, Harrison, I was getting very, very worried when you were actually saying glamoring because when I heard the GL, I thought you were going to say the word glinching, and I had some horrific <laughs> flashbacks to a uh, a, <laughs> a canceled Lego line called Galador, where I have... <laughs> you swap around the uh, action figure's limbs, and the act of doing so is called glinching. <laughs> I have never heard that term before. No, that's, that's some amazing. real horror. That is some real horror. Oh, I'm God, you want a word. real horror show? Watch Galador. There was a whole show written for it, too. Ian, God, just for us. you, when we go on about talking about the next movie, I'm going to use that word. You're welcome. Oh, yeah, God, no! It fits. That fits. It's no glinching word. time. <laughs> oh, God, it's going to be the new Morbin time now I think about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, it, it's just such a dirty sounding word too. glinching the, the night that glinch stole Christmas classic. <laughs> classic you're a mean one Mr. Glinch okay look we can oh, save yeah. the Christmas shit for later okay relax yes, yes. yes. let's not get too caught that's, up in the Galador the lore we'll, so. we'll, we'll have the Galador lowdown on another episode because oh yeah. god it is fascinating just how much of a failure that line was Um, but yes um, the 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 creatures and just the general fantasy elements. Uh, once again, very, very uh creative in their own right, and I don't really think you would be able to see uh a whole lot that's similar to it. You know, it very much is. Oh, that's that's Del Toro. You know, yep. very few things are able to capture the same sort of look that you would see in a Del Toro movie. But um, on a slight tangent, as far as what Sam had brought up about horrible things happening in the movie that it will show you, um, you get, just to kind of rapid fire through some of these, if you are wanting to watch the movie, uh, please know that there is a lot of medical horror in this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a lot. As in, a like, lot. watching someone sew their own face back up, watching someone get their leg amputated uh a lethal injection at part of it a, a lot mm-hmm. there's a miscarriage almost a miscarriage is rough at parts uh yes and i think just in terms of what happens to different characters um this film is uh surprisingly nasty it does not pull its punches when it comes to uh having some pretty miserable moments occur Yes, I mean, in terms of what we're talking about, it's, it's as Harrison would say, it was saying, you know, I mean, you see everything. 
like with the sewing part is a great example. Just him getting cut in general, him being the captain. Spoiler, 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 spoiler. In which you could see the side of his face like sliding off. You know, like you could see the slit. So it's shit like that. It's you look at that and you're like, damn, damn. First of all, the effects are great on it, which makes it even worse. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> because you're like, oh yeah, no, that that looks nasty. It's not like, it's not like Friday the Thirteenth or uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, in which you know it's goofy because the effects are old. These are good effects, which makes the gore just feel so much more. Oh yeah, this 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 movie this movie is a beautiful evolution of uh, physical in camera practical effects uh, yep. using multiple decades of just evolution in technique and just uh, materials uh, to really really make it look like uh, somebody had their um, cheek cut open. <laughs> Or one of the most uh, infamous scenes in this movie is where, uh, mild spoiler for the beginning, where two hunters are kind of stopped, believing that they are rebels, and one of them has their face bashed in with a wine bottle. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was that 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 was the first scene that really gave you an idea of what kind of person the captain was. Yep. Also, it's worth noting there is nothing violent in the movie up until that point. Mm-hmm. No, nope. this is the intro to the kind of world that you're dealing with. Up until this point, it's just this childlike fantasy, moving out here, not liking your your new father, and then just this. Yeah, it it's a wake up call, and the 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 way they do it so nonchalantly without any big grandiose, this is about to happen really helps because nothing in this film when it comes to the gore or the violence is gratuitous you know you can't look at anything going "Ah, it's a bit too much it's like it it, it never breaks your suspension of disbelief and i think that wow it makes everything hit so much harder that is true i think as well a good like two or three characters in this movie die explicitly from getting shot in the back Mm -hmm. and they aren't gore fests they just no they get shot when you get shot, exactly. you don't explode. Honestly, I think right. most of the cast of this movie dies getting shot. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And usually, it's uh, it's it's a shot coming from the captain. <laughs> the captain is responsible for most of the misery that other characters are are, are put through. Yeah, except for the very end, where, spoilers, the captain asks for his last wishes to be honored, and they just tell him a no, and then shoot him in the face. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Look, I'll be honest, Captain Vidal, which is, let's be honest, the antagonist of the film. Yep. It's the only one they Absolutely. really, really bring up as the antagonist of the film. This horrific, monstrous, Nazi character in Spanish outfit. He, he really is a fantastic villain. He is brutal. He is just horrible. He thinks he's in the right. He know, quote unquote, knows he's in the right. He's just awesome. He's awesome by being the most awful human being a person could be. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, like, what makes him so much more awful, too, is the fact of how mechanical of a person he is. Mm, he has a which stopwatch is re- on him at all times and will count down minutes as far as how long things are supposed to take. Yeah. And let's also not forget about just how scummy his his 
main goal is well not just the goal but how he just treats uh the the person delivering his goal which is he wants a son he really 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 wants a son to call his own and uh through that um the main character ophelia uh she is constantly just seeing her mother being incredibly miserable uh going through the pains of uh, being pregnant as horrific as that is from what I've been able to pick up over the years. <laughs> um, but he almost treats her like more of a concubine than his actual wife. He almost always, when she shows any signs of, you know, pain or, uh, you know, signs of having trouble uh, with the process of being pregnant, um, his first worry is, what about my son? Yeah, I and mean, I think that 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 speaks volumes to who he is as a person. Yeah, I mean, he's so effective as the villain, and I really got to credit the obviously the the direction for him and the actor himself, Monsieur Sergei Sergei Lopez. Um, like I'd rather be in a room with the monsters, like the the fantasy creatures, than in him, with him, because every time he popped up on screen, I got nervous. Honestly. Yeah, because he was capable of so much, and he was shown to do so much more than the actual, you know, weird child eaters of the film. That I was like, "Oh shit, he's on screen. Someone's gonna get hurt." Yeah, like, uh, like the scene where he tortures someone because they have a stutter. Yeah, he literally says, "Oh yeah, you know, I'll let you go if you can count to three without stuttering." You know, here's the other thing. Um, so the the pale man, the yes. the, the one monster within the movie that yes is creepy is most certainly unsettling to see when he has, uh, also pops his eyeballs into his hands and is chasing ophelia the thing about that monster is you don't entirely get an idea of what he does aside from eat children he eats them but you don't get an idea of well how does he render them unconscious and then do that do whatever the, the thing about the captain is you see that he what, what 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 he is capable of what what he has in store for people that give him shit mm -hmm. he is a monster he is the actual horror movie monster yep mm -hmm. it's to the point where the captain has a rehearsed speech that he gives as he goes over torture implement by torture implement I mean, the, I mean, the thing is, yeah, the child eating is scary, but it's almost like cartoonish. Honestly, yeah, what he does is not cartoonish. But honestly, we gotta start talking about anything else. He's great. I love him. But there's all yep. the really good aspects of the movie. Yeah, um, yes. <laughs> oh God, he steals every scene he's in. It's unfair. <laughs> um, all the actors rocked it. Every single one. Of of you know the person who the let's see, I have her name in front of me. Gosh darn it. Um. Ivana Baquero as Ophelia. Great child actor. A child actor. Oh, absolutely. Can, a child actor can make or break your movie. And she, thankfully, made the movie. So, I mean, she just. She had to go through a lot of emotions, you know? It's it, just that whole situation is very stressful for a child. Just having a, a new father, let alone him being a fucking Spanish Gestapo, essentially. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to find this fantasy world, and she, there's a lot, there's a lot to her character, you know, and I, I loved it. Uh, I, it's just good. 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm just be gushing about the movie for the most part. In terms of, I'm just going to get my, the negatives out of the way right now. Yep. You have to be prepared to watch this movie. Uh, you do. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> this is this is not Sleepy Hollow where you could just pop it on and, you know, it's like fall or whatever. You get the general vibe. This is a movie you got to be like, hmm, am I ready for this shit? Because this shit's going to be heavy. And you would think it's, like, the dark fantasy stuff that would get you, but no, it's the real world shit that yeah. is the most difficult to watch at times. Yeah, I mean, if you're watching this with other people and you're about to spring it on them, yeah, <laughs> unless you want them to be really surprised or maybe even offended, yeah, you have to hit them up a little bit, like, hey, yeah, you know, this movie's going to be a little bit heavy. You have to let them know. It's, now, of yeah. course, I, I, I have to say that maybe the next movie that we talk about even more so, but um, we'll get to that when we get to it. <laughs> yeah, but other than that, it's, it's it's a really good film, really thought-invoking film, which is really good. It is. Movie. Would you describe this movie as horror, actually, is the question? Uh, I'd say, I'd say real-world horror in showing just how nasty uh, people can be. I think Harrison, that's it. Your thoughts? I, I would describe it as horror in the sense where it shows the awful side of war, really. It's one and of those humans. things that most movies that reference wars will show them in this positive light or show these grandiose combat scenes, and this just doesn't. People die. They get shot. They're dead. No grand celebration. Just death. Mm-hmm. It doesn't revel in it in the slightest. Well, I will say that, thankfully, it's not all doom and gloom. There are several moments where there's at least little glimmers of hope. And although, spoilers, um, unfortunately, Ophelia does get shot by the captain. Um, the captain gets unceremoniously killed off. Ophelia, after her brother is born, she runs off with him because the fawn tells her to show up in the labyrinth with him and the fawn instructs her okay i i i need his blood so hand him over and i'll i'll uh, just get a few drops and she's repulsed by that she, she's not gonna allow that and the fawn's like oh come on i told you to just do whatever i tell you to do without you know having a fuss and stuff like that and you know she's talking to him and then the captain shows up and he sees ophelia but he doesn't see the fawn so it's one of those cases of, of, you know, communicating, oh, well, is the fantasy world even real and stuff like that? And fucking he, he grabs her brother and just shoots her and she falls over and starts bleeding out. And when he leaves the labyrinth, uh, the rebels surround him. They take away his son and he looks at his watch one last time and he says, oh, yeah, I want you to... Uh, tell my son the the hour and minute that I died, and they say, <laughs> no, no, we're not going to do that. Y you know what is going to happen? He's not even going to know your name, and they just shoot him right there. And I'm just like, no, that's that's fitting, that's fitting, that's exactly how she, he should go out. He shouldn't go out. I don't know, being trapped in the fantasy world, being eaten alive by whatever you know fantasy monster. No. He just gets unceremoniously killed off. Because you know what? That, that, that's what he gets for his nastiness. He's just forgotten. And I think that's the main thing. Because uh, I don't know how you guys read his whole watch thing with him keeping track of time. Um, but I read that as the captain only has so much time in his life. Especially considering he's, uh, 
he's in the middle of the war. Yep. Uh, so he wants a son to essentially be his living legacy, and he lives every minute as if he's going to eventually die. Hence yeah, why the, he's so gung-ho in some of the combat scenes and stuff like that. And so The just... other interesting thing, too, right, is mm -hmm. they mentioned earlier on that that watch is his father's watch. And he knew exactly when his father died. And you see him fix it in the very beginning of the movie. So that way he could then use it himself to record when he dies for his son. Precisely. So it's the sort of heritage of how long has this been happening and just for it to end abruptly because of him being an awful person. Oh, exactly. So exactly. I, I got a question for both of you. Yes. Do you mm -hmm. believe that the fantasy world presented in the movie is actually real or is it more of a coping mechanism for the child? Or hmm. do you think it's, it's just there for the movie? You know what I mean? Like it's just, Del, Del Toro putting it in here not necessarily to lighten the mood but uh, I don't know how to finish that one honestly I, just... I have a specific take on it but I want to hear Ian's take first I think my take is um, it sort of takes the usual approach to most fantasy worlds and movies like this where it is a world that only shows itself to the people who sort of look for that kind of stuff who have that sort of imagination and, and are open-minded and stuff, and people like the captain or uh, Ophelia's mother, who have you know been living in this very cynical, you know, negative mindset of the world that the uh, fantasy elements don't show themselves to because they don't have the same mind that Ophelia does. And I guess maybe jog my memory, but but that weird little like tree thing that Ophelia oh, puts under the mandrake. The Mandrake, yes, the Mandrake. So, the thing about the Mandrake, if I'm not mistaken, the fawn just literally pulls that out of his back pocket and just says, oh yeah, put this underneath your mother's bed. I'm assuming that then that means the Mandrake is something that the fawn literally pulled out of the fantasy world, and considering that the captain quite literally was able to grab it and see it, there's at least some semblance of the fantasy world crossing over. Yes. But only when it shows itself. Now, there's an interesting thing, too, with this, right? Mm -hmm. you, there's evidence in the movie itself that the fantasy world's real. Because you can hand wave away the mandrake and go, yeah, no, she found it in the woods, imagine this whole thing up. But the thing that you can't, they have her locked in her room. She's not allowed to leave her room. The chalk door. Exactly. That was the other thing I was going to get to. The chalk door is still a thing. That's what allows her to escape. I mean, if somehow people want to, like, really reach and say, oh, well, well, she found another way out. She went through a window or something. It's very difficult to be able to believe that. Yeah, especially with her drawing the door with chalk on her wall. Uh-huh. Uh, unless she was secretly a demolitions expert. <laughs> yeah, and then leaving the chalk in the captain's room as she makes her escape. Yeah, she was given that chalk, too. So that's another example of the fantasy world crossing over because the captain also saw the chalk. And picks it up and breaks it. Exactly. So I think, yeah, the fantasy world, to me anyway, is real. 
Uh, it just only shows itself to the people that it chooses. Harrison? Yes? Your take? Any more to add on your take? Um, not really, no. I mean, the movie tries to be really ambiguous, but you know for a fact that the fantasy world is just sort of a thing that you see if you look for it, because the ending, like, speech is explicitly that. That you can still see Ophelia in the world if you know where to look for, as if flower then blooms. I'm going to go with the idea that it's it's a fake. It's a hashtag coping mechanism. All okay. right. I think that kind of fits with the more realistic tone of the movie. I get you. And with the whole idea that these things exist if you look for it, I think it would be more appropriate to say these things exist if you believe they do. Okay. Which, in a way, yes. I mean, if you believe anything hard enough, it exists to you. I mean, personally, sure. I mean, that's that's the way I interpret it. I mean, personally, I like to believe it's all real and that she's rocking it as the queen of the other world because that's dope as fuck and way happier than anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, it's, it's really both ways. You know, it's, it's really hard to tell. And... I think it's more leaning towards towards it's it's fake, but it's it's happy in the way that in this fakeness she found her you know happiness and everything still worked out. And this this fantasy exists as long as you you know believe in it and look for it. But yeah, I think the interpretation can lead to both ways. And hey, it's open to interpretation. That's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which means you know it's more to think about, which is always good when we get you to think. Yes, even a little, even a little no, bit. It absolutely. Really is. Closing thoughts, I mean, I would most certainly recommend people at least once watch Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, Under the, um, you know, mindset of, yes, it's going to be a bit rough in certain scenes. Characters are going to die. (laughs) Um, And they're also going to horribly, horribly die. Yeah. Um, I I mean, I'm just going to state it again. It's a very, very, very good movie. It's better if you're in the mind for it. And honestly, it might even be better on a second watch through when you're more prepared for those aspects. I wouldn't call it a casual movie. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's casual, you know, yeah. because it's thought invoking. It's not super casual. Yeah. But I'd still it's say it's easier than some movies just to pop on. In terms of if it's a Halloween movie, that's a little bit tougher. If it, if I could properly say it's like, oh yeah, it's Halloween night. Let's put on Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> Well, I, I'd say at least in the design of the fantasy world, considering, like, uh, the fawn, for example. The the fawn does not have the most visually, you know, uh, bewildering or appealing uh, look. He still kind of looks a little off, which granted works, because throughout the movie you're constantly questioning, well, should Ophelia actually trust the fawn? Because he looks a little... Yeah, he, he seems a little creepy here and there. And then, I, I mean, the, the Pale Man especially, that just screams, you know, dark fantasy yep. sort of, you know, creepy, you know, monster design. Would I say that maybe I could have gone with a few more moments of actually being in the fantasy world and stuff like that? Sure. But I think that would have had the runtime go a bit longer, and I'm not sure if it would need that, per se. I would love something, though, that has more of this world's fantasy elements, because they're fantastic. Oh, they are. 
I don't know, some sort of thing set in the same setting would be really nice, but odds of that mm -hmm. happening are relatively low. Probably for the best. Apparently, uh, Guillermo del Toro did say he had plans for a sequel, but uh, nothing came of it. I don't think Oof. it really needs a sequel, though, to be honest. I think a sequel would probably just undermine a lot of what this movie did. Mm. I just... I need uh, more the, the only thing I can think of is if uh, it's another story with another set of characters completely unrelated to uh, Ophelia and her family, um, but the same fantasy world. And it sort of... Uh, uh, studies the characters a little differently and how their relation to the fantasy world is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it, it's a similar premise, but with different characters and a different arc, you know? Because then just, that gives uh, an excuse to be in the fantasy world a little bit more. Yeah, and I would like I just, to see more of that. Exactly. I just love a movie that basically be someone venturing into that fantasy world. Yeah. Or even just having more time in it and stuff like that. Like, yeah. I still like the idea that there's still this very strong connection between the fantasy world and the real world, but I would like to see more of the fantasy world. It just had such a unique design to it that it, it it's a shame that we don't get to explore it as much. No, that is true. Yeah. But there is a setting that we get to fully explore the interworkings of how its monsters work. Uh, very much so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord this next film <laughs> oh yeah I, I i i wouldn't say it had me in stitches but um this one this one's the spooky one this one's the horrific one this one's the one that um because of my uh work schedule and stuff like that i had to watch at like 9 45 10 o'clock and i really didn't want to <laughs> <laughs> oh sammy boy this is your pick yeah no it's um look this one's kind of cheating i'll be honest this one's kind of a fucking cheat movie because yeah, everyone's fucking heard of the thing of you course. know I, I almost feel kind of bad picking it <laughs> because it's just it's so easy who doesn't watch this movie and go like damn yeah no that's that's the thing baby i love it Look, let's. It, I'm not gonna cut around the bush. It's one of the greatest horror movies ever made. Yep. It's. I know that's not a very hot topic opinion. You know, that's not. A, that's not gonna make some people angry or rustle some jimmies. Yeah, and and I mean, you you kind of need at least one of these kinds of movies, which is like you know, oh yeah, th this is like the higher echelon of horror. And plus, I I mean, like we were already talking about these previous two movies, they're not necessarily scary. They're scary in different ways, but they're not, like, scary scary. They're not, like, foreboding. They're not horrifying or anything like that. They're not the kind of movies that necessarily, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be losing sleep now because it's, it's kind of spooking me out. This one is actually horrifying for many reasons. <laughs> yeah, in terms oh, of yeah. the, like, more fantastical reasons compared to, like, Pan Labyrinth, which is grounded. You know what? It's a weird comparison, but I'm going to throw it out there. So, you know, The Matrix came out in the 90s. And The Matrix yeah. was a, obviously super successful. And it, it created this like this little, little zeitgeist where people were wondering, like, oh, man, what if we exist in The Matrix? Like, this, mm -hmm. you know, it's very thought provoking. This is kind of the thing is kind of like that in terms of horror. Like, 
you watch the thing and instead of you know like matrix and you think oh my god am i real you watch and you're like should i trust my neighbor should i trust my brother i haven't seen him in a minute uh yeah <laughs> especially it, if uh especially if they pop back up and uh you're the only two people in the room <laughs> mm -hmm. so quick premises for this movie you have a group of researchers at Antarctica, America, God bless, USA only, Team America, let's go. And they're doing some basic research up there when all of a sudden they come across this dog being chased by, down by a helicopter with some Norwegians in it. And the Norwegians are yelling at the Americans. Obviously, they're screaming in Norwegian, so no one can understand it because Norwegian is a made-up language. You know, they get in a little scuffle, the Norwegian dies, and they keep the dog. And <laughs> insanity ensues. Little hijinks, uh, little tomfoolery. Yeah. Yes. As it turns out, that's not a dog. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Fun fact, actually. Um, the Norwegians are actually yelling at them in Norwegian. Like, the entire warning of what that is and how to kill it. Got yeah, all the Norwegian yeah. audiences were like, hey, whoa, don't spoil, bro. <laughs> yeah, I much. think it was a good idea not putting subtitles either. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly why they did it. Because they didn't want to oh, spoil exactly. it for the American audience, right? <laughs> Imagine uh, like this movie coming out, and there's just one person that happened to have seen it in like Canada or North America, and they happen to have spoken Norwegian, and they're just sitting there going, "Wait, wait, 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 what? What? Hang on, what? Wait a minute!" So, <laughs> oh, quick synopsis of the the actual monster for this film itself. The thing is an alien that crash landed super long ago in its history. And what it does, what makes it you know, so scary is the fact that it will infect someone, take over their body and assimilate them. So it looks exactly like the person they assimilate and acts like the person they assimilate. So the whole premise of the horror of this movie is they, you know, the team slowly being taken over and you don't know who to trust. And that really is where the strengths of the movie really shines is in this paranoia yeah so general thoughts my peeps uh well i'll say one thing this is uh the prototype of among us among us okay both of you can <laughs> fucking leave <laughs> i knew, oh, I knew that was gonna i knew that was gonna pop up eventually but like hey hey sam yeah look look up the look up the thing movie poster for me <laughs> okay looking it up now Alright. Uh-huh. Do you see him? Fuck you. <laughs> Do you see the Amogus? <laughs> it's the Amogus, Sam! He's sitting there! Uh, God damn it. Uh, he's just got arms this time around. <laughs> no, but the Thing movie poster is actually really, really iconic. It oh, it is. It gives a very good idea of what you're in for, and but at the same time doesn't spell it out either. It yeah. doesn't. And I like that. And here's the interesting thing. Obviously, a lot of the just horrifying moments come from the the thing itself. First off, uh, to give some context, uh, when I was saying earlier that, yeah, I had to watch this at like 10 o'clock at night, dead of night. And uh, I'm sitting there going like, yeah, I, I have a feeling this is going to be one of those movies that spooks me. So I called up my buddy Chris. I'm like, uh, hey, Chris, so... um. You know how there's a, a a watch party function on uh, Amazon Prime? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, um, I have to watch the thing for uh, the, the podcast that I do. And um, 
Well, it's 10 o'clock at night. I could really use your help, buddy. <laughs> so we watched it together, and dear lord, it helped, because uh, I was immediately, immediately not feeling right within the first few seconds of the movie where it opens on a star field and you just see this little flying saucer come on through and it obviously passes by the camera and it cuts to this wide shot of it you know going towards earth you know burning up in the atmosphere and then just disappearing and you get the title card john carpenters and you're like oh okay well, what's going on here and then all of a sudden you get the title of the thing burning into the picture as if it's like made of plasma and just these few minutes i was already just getting chills like okay it's hard to pinpoint it right now but i am already not feeling right and the thing about the flying saucer flying towards the camera and then going past and towards the earth it doesn't have like this big roaring you know, swoosh effect, like in, say, Star Wars or even Predator, because Predator had a very similar opening where a spaceship flew past the camera and towards Earth. It just sort of very gently goes past, and just how, like, nonchalant it is, and then just going towards there, and, and, and knowing full well, yes, it, it's an alien that's going to be attacking humans, it already spells out, yeah, whoever comes across that, they're, they're, they're fucked. They are fucked. The world, potentially, is fucked. And here we are. John Carpenter's the thing. Strap in, ladies and gentlemen. You're in for a ride. What a fucking ride this was. Harrison, your general thoughts. I am a very big fan of this type of movie. I'm gonna be real with you. Because... It's the sort of movies that you can just rewatch again and again. Try to find little signs that you didn't notice before like one person behaving off at part of it and going, that's why they uh, converted this part. They were already it back in this scene and that kind of stuff. Like there's all these yeah. little tiny details. Oh yeah. And I mean, uh, once we get into the nitty gritty, there's actually some interesting, uh, you know, thematic stuff as well as commentary too, in terms of some of the things that they worked into the story that, I kind of only thought about after I saw it, and I'm like, you know what, that's actually kind of interesting. And, you know, obviously I read a lot into the behind-the-scenes stuff, because um, if we can start anywhere with getting into it, the practical effects, th th this is a masterclass in it. This is it a masterclass is. in physical puppeteering and just general practical effects. Like, dear lord, there's a reason why... Uh, the, the scenes where the thing reveals itself and turns into these just horrific, nightmarish, like, amalgamations of limbs and organs and stuff like that is because it all looks so real. It is beautifully disgusting, and I have to say that um, I, I, I couldn't sit still for the rest of the movie after the infamous uh, dog transformation scene. <laughs> <laughs> mm, try to eat a bologna sandwich after that, I dare you. Exactly. Especially when it does the uh, the, the, the flower petal uh, face thing, where the oh, literal flower. snout of the fucking dog splits open like a flower, and it's just, it's bony, meshy, like, 
face on the inside. Fucking hell. <laughs> I mean, that particular scene was, you know, already hard to watch, because, you know, it, it's a bunch of dogs getting assimilated and killed and stuff like that, you know? And I am one of those wimps that I'm just like, oh, no, not the dogs. So, as to why I, I picked this movie specifically, honestly, man, this is going to sound a little, again, hoity-toity. But when it comes to horror movies, this is a perfect example of what I like to call the elevated horror movie. The one that goes just a little, not even a little, but beyond, above and beyond. And the core of it is really the strength of the characters and how realistic the situation feels. Now, obviously, it's a space alien horror movie. Realism is is going to be a little out the window, a little out there, because it's a fucking space alien, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I watch Alex Jones every now and then, and, I, you know, Psychelopsers, all that. When I, when I say realism is the characters in the movie aren't fucking stereotype idiots. You know what I mean? They mm -hmm. They don't split up. Because they, ha you know, because they can, they split up because they have to. Every, for the most part, everything they do is intelligent and what I believe a real human fucking being would do. And that's where the movie really shines is because the human element of the movie is intelligent and competent, for the most part. You know, as competent as human beings can be. It makes everything else better. It makes the villain more menacing because if the human beings are competent and the monster's still winning, that's scary. That's a lot scarier than fucking a bunch of stupid teens going out, getting high, and fucking in a exactly. graveyard in, in the air, in Indian burial yard, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it's just better for it. And the score, the atmosphere, the characters, it's just everything, man. Everything about it is just a little bit better than an average horror movie. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and if I can say one other thing that really works in this, um, the score done by the ever-iconic Ennio Morricone, fantastic. Uh, and it's actually the score in particular that when it came on, Nothing is necessarily happening on screen, per se, you know, but it still gave me chills. It made me think, oh, I, I this, this feels very uncomfy. I, I, I am scared straight right now just because the score is very, very unnerving to listen to. Harrison, thoughts? It's, uh... Score kind of really helps build the suspense for it. Mm -hmm. Because oh, yes. that's the thing that a lot of uh, movies kind of forget sometimes is music is really key to selling a scene. If you don't have the right music tones for a scene, it doesn't fit properly. There's actually this video I saw where someone took the music playing in like james bond scenes and removed it and instead just put the sort of music that plays in you know like tlc shows when people meet over it and full suspense out the window it it's not even suspenseful in the slightest it's just like two people meeting and chatting it up at a bar like music is really really key to what you're selling and the thing does it very well 
It absolutely does. Because, I mean, it, it shows what the thing is capable of. It is capable of freaking splitting open uh, whatever it's assimilated and, like, you know, splitting open it, it, its head and it becomes a giant mouth. I mean, it, someone's chest bursts open like a giant mouth and chops off someone's arms. I mean, it does all kinds of things. And it's just horrific because you just don't know what kind of shape it's going to take. And what I find interesting is that you never actually get an idea of what the thing could potentially look like before it's assimilated uh, anything. Because for all you know, it could just be an amalgamation of flesh and stuff like that. But what it does do is that it takes on the shape of multiple things that it's assimilated. It creates some just very creative looking, but also nightmarish, you know, flesh abominations. And uh, again, it's just... <laughs> that's half the horror right there. It is horrific to look at. And for anyone with a weak stomach, I, I will most certainly say, definitely do not watch this if you have a weak stomach. Or yeah. just don't have a thing for gore, because it is a tough watch to sit through if that's the case. I mean, I'm normally one where I don't have a problem with gore, but if like it sits on it for a while... Um, yeah, I'm gonna have a problem, and yeah, this was disgusting at times. I will say, for me, um, things were downhill after the dog scene. Like, the other scenes, where the thing was transforming and into, like, these just horrific, you know, abominations and stuff like that, it was still very gross and hard to look at at times, but the, the dog scene, <laughs> for me, like, it, it wasn't as bad after that. I wouldn't say that, oh, it's not as scary. No, it's still scary, but it became a little easier for me. No, I definitely get that. But the tension still held itself fantastically, because, again, it's that just distrust amongst the uh, the, the people involved that really uh, gets me and kept me like going, ah, oh, well, maybe something's just around the corner and stuff like that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes it's a bit risky if you have a movie that takes itself very seriously, because if it doesn't work, then it looks silly on accident. Yeah. This is a good example of a movie that takes itself very seriously, does it right, and it makes it way more intense for it. I think, like, with it taking itself seriously, one of my favorite little details is where it copies parts of things that it has eaten. Mm -hmm. But when it, during the dog scene... The only sort of things you can infer that's eaten before then, besides the dogs, are, like, something with tentacles and crabs. Mm-hmm. That's, like, that. that's it. That's all you know that it, for certain, had got to. Yeah. Which means it could have been much worse if it, uh, if it got all oh, the yeah. things that weren't crabs. <laughs> well, it, it's funny, because I'll, I'll kind of go into uh, the whole, like, uh, question of, oh, well, I mean, like... How much has it absorbed before? Like, what kind of creatures has it, you know, assimilated before? Uh, but I'll save that for later, because I found some interesting, um, I guess, supplementary material in the forms of, like, uh, extra media revolving around the thing that I can uh, go into detail on. But first, I wanted to just kind of go into some of those thematic stuff that I was talking about. And one interesting thing that I found later on is that uh, the general mistrust and constant, like, turning against each other that, you know, the, the research team has in this movie 
is very reminiscent of uh, the kind of paranoia that uh, multiple countries had during the Cold War with, like, the Red Scare. And, I mean, even in uh, America with uh, McCarthyism and stuff like that of, should I trust my neighbor? Is my neighbor potentially a communist? And I think uh, when you look at it from that perspective, it's actually a beautiful, beautiful little case study of how... Humans aren't always willing to lower their guard, and they are more willing to just kill each other out of sheer fear of, oh, well, if I kill him before he kills me, I'll be safe. And I mean, that's explored beautifully because some people do die in this movie, and it turns out they weren't the thing. They were just overly paranoid. It's interesting to think about, well... When you really do think about it, this whole situation became what it was because no one trusted one another. No one worked together. No one set down boundaries of like, okay, let's just do this, do that, and not get up each other's asses on this. Uh, because you have to think, if they were willing to work together more, which granted could have raised the risk of the thing, you know, possibly assimilating all of them, but you also have to think like, Possibly this thing could have all been avoided if they just worked together and trust each other more. And uh, especially when you look at it from, you know, that whole Cold War paranoia, I, I think it does add quite a few layers to it and sort of has like this tinge of tragedy to it. Because, I mean, people are being locked out in maintenance sheds. People are having to be strapped to chairs while others go like... Yeah, I'm going to take your blood and I'm going to do a test and we'll do you last because I have a feeling you're it. You're the thing. You know, and it only just riles people up more and causes them to just be maybe the reason why the thing was so willing to just assimilate all of them was because, well, it's an alien. It doesn't recognize humans. You know, what was stopping the thing from maybe... I don't know, taking a moment to somehow use one of the guys as a means of communicating and saying, hey, so like, um, what's up? Where am I? But you have to think with how aggressive the, uh, the, the humans were, which understandably, uh, seeing what they saw, <laughs> perhaps they had a bit of a right to, but I mean, you also have to think, maybe the thing could have also avoided, uh, escalating the situation if, uh, had the ability to communicate or do something or recognize yeah like um maybe don't assimilate them because <laughs> you actually never do get an idea of how intelligent the thing is because yes it's able to perfectly mimic uh humans and behave like one for the most part and hell it's even smart enough to do things like tamper with machinery and even uh get rid of a bunch of the team's blood samples you know, and never tries communicating of its own accord and saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the thing and I want to, like, you know, talk. It's this hostility on both sides that I, I think escalated the situation. I'd say that the core thing with these sorts of movies, as far as any sort of alien assimilation plot lines, is usually that up till a set point, the alien itself its sole purpose is just gather more mass it doesn't yeah. really think the same way it can understand yes like how certain mm -hmm. processes work copy things but does it really get why these things happened it's a sort of uncanny mimicry of what 
life really is for a lot of people or things in the world and yeah it's just it's supposed to be unsettling because it's off and i mean granted some people could say oh well the reason why you never under fully understand the thing is because it's just supposed to be a a a, a monster movie villain and stuff like that and so it has to kill people but i don't know uh just a quick interjection i mean something that makes it just a little bit of above uh, like a normal slasher villain is despite the fact that we really ultimately don't know much about it it never talks for itself you know it never goes to these guys and explain what its you know thoughts are or tries to talk it out or hey man what's your feelings about me assimilating you you know Mm -hmm. but it has intelligence first of all in its mimicry it i mean it, it perfectly mimics someone to the point where you don't know until it's a little bit too late like, there's never a point where they look at one of their allies and say, wait a minute, you're acting funny. They always have to find out in a different way than that. They always have to find out, like, oh, it's through the blood. You know, when they do the blood test for, is a really good example. But it's never an emotional thing. They're never like, wait a minute, this feels wrong. You don't feel like the person. And it honestly yeah. makes it even scarier because you don't know. And it, 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 it does all these you know, espionage things, making it impossible for them to, you know, fully kill it or know who it, know, you know know which one it is and it thinks ahead like at the very end it's attempting it knows it's lost so it's attempting to freeze itself so someone else can fi- find it its intelligence is shown subtly and in, in a more organic natural way and again i mean maybe uh, kind of like what i was talking about i, I kind of come from a perspective that the reason why the thing never takes a moment to try and communicate for itself is you know, it is intelligent, but it chooses not to do that, or doesn't have the capacity to. Humans, for example, have the capacity to talk with one another, to understand one another, but they don't always choose that. They choose instead to destroy each other. And I think it was intentional that the thing never does that, because it's supposed to reflect that maybe it's not so different from humans. And it is an interesting point to bring up, because... One of the offshoots of media of The Thing, aside from, like, games and other stuff, which, by the way, there is a PS2 game for The Thing that is actually kind of fun from what I've seen. Yeah, I beat it. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It, it, it does its best to attempt to capture the paranoia from the movie, but unfortunately, just, I guess, due to, like, you know, being an old PS2 game, it, it doesn't, it doesn't really go all the way with it, but it's, it's still, it's a nice little fun little game. Yeah, I difficult. get that. You could definitely yes. tell. <laughs> I you heard te- it was pretty difficult. You could tell it's before Resident Evil Four in terms of play, play, play gameplay and everything like that. But that's that's a topic. Yeah. Hmm. Well, one of the extra things in media, um, and I'll just kind of go over this before we uh, wrap up and go on to our next topic. Um, there was a short story based around the thing, uh, written by uh, Peter Watts, and uh, this one's interesting because it's called The Things plural and the reason it's called that is actually because it is a short story written from the perspective of the alien and uh i actually decided oh you know what short story it's online hey i'll check it out it sounds interesting and uh i went in thinking that oh it's just going to be like a a beat by beat retelling of what happened in the movie but from the perspective of the alien Oh, Lord, no, it's it's a lot more than that. (laughs) 
it uh i actually think recontextualizes um the movie in a way and i'm not normally one for you know reading books as a means of like enhancing a movie <clears throat> star wars is a uh, bad um uh contender for that sometimes but this short story was interesting because it actually provides a, a decent amount of lore behind the thing and the thing is interesting because it apparently considers itself an ambassador a missionary a soldier against entropy because it literally refers to its assimilation ability as the communion uh where apparently uh its uh process of assimilating other life forms as like this act of uh, necessary evolution, given that it can change the physiology of whatever it assimilates. And uh, when it crash lands on Earth, it actually assumes that the humans are part of that process of assimilation for the sake of uh, fighting entropy, evolution and stuff like that, and just enhancing their biomass. But it actually becomes horrified when it finds out that they actually can't shapeshift like it can, and they actually reject uh, the assimilation. And so it, it thinks of humans as like this thinking cancer that it has to quote-unquote save by assimilating and forcefully evolving. And it is a chilling short read. I recommend that everybody check it out because... It adds a lot more context to uh, the, the the monster. I wouldn't say it's necessary, because kind of like what I was talking about, um, once again, uh, in, in the short story, it makes no attempt to try and communicate with the humans, even though it possibly has the ability to, uh, because it assumes, oh, well, they're a thinking cancer. They're, 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 they're this suffering, you know, organism that I have to you know, morph, to change, to, to you know, alter their physiology and stuff like that. Because again, it's sort of, you know, uh, much like the humans, thinking entirely from paranoia. So, yeah, interesting short read. I, I really recommend people try it out. You can find it basically anywhere online. It's free to read. And yeah, it's just solid. No, I uh, but you. yeah, I closing thoughts on the thing. Good as fuck. Yeah, it's good. It's fantastic. Uh, I would recommend it only to people though that can stomach uh, the um, just grossness of the thing. Of course, <laughs> if you're not one for <laughs> gore, uh, maybe give it a pass. Uh, but if you can stomach it, hey, it's worth it. I personally enjoyed it. It's up there as far as one of my favorite horror movies. Because um, it, it's high up there. I like the atmosphere to it. I like the sort of claustrophobic feel it gives. Because that's the sort of thing I always like with any sort of alien horror movies is they feel very claustrophobic. Mm -hmm. Which always is a plus for me. Because it really immerses you in there. I mean, I, I, mostly the city Blood is Harrison. It's, it's one of my favorite horror movies. One of my favorite movies in general. It really scratches that itch of a sci-fi horror. And like I said, it's just it's elevated itself with its better characters and just overall concepts and ideas and originality. 
you know, despite it being a remake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, of course. And I, I think this is a perfect example of the movies. Like, the kids are asleep. Again, you're with your buds. Like, hey, guys, you want to watch a fucking horror movie? You know? Oh, and this is going to be the movie you whip out. You know? Like, this is this is the horror movie you watch. Absolutely. <laughs> so, okay. Which one of these three are your guys' favorites, though? That's a tough one for me. It really is. Because these are all really solid movies that I liked for different reasons. I will say, I, I think if I had to rank them, uh, Pan's Labyrinth might be third. But frankly, that's only because um, it's not the most like spooky, in my opinion. It doesn't have quite as many like Halloween elements, but I would still say it belongs in the criteria of something that you could watch around Halloween. Purely because when the dark fantasy stuff does show up, it's it's nice. It's spooky. It's unnerving. And overall just solid. Mm -hmm. It's just tough choosing between Sleepy Hollow or The Thing. Because The Thing, ooh, it, it got me. It really did. But I also just really liked Sleepy Hollow as a movie. So I guess I, I'll say as a movie, I preferred uh, Sleepy Hollow just because I thought the filmmaking lighting and uh, production design was fantastic along with the cast uh but mm -hmm. the thing it's just such a master class in horror that i think as a halloween movie and just a horror movie i will say the thing was the best i getcha i getcha i as far as like horror elements go the thing is up there for me and mm -hmm. for general movies i do really love pan's labyrinth and that is understandable it's it, it's on all cylinders in many areas. For me, I think when it comes in the spirit of Halloween, I'm gonna say my favorite in terms of what I think of a, a Halloween movie. I would probably go with Sleepy Hollow. It's probably the most Halloween and the okay. most I would I could, could casually watch. But when I think of my favorite horror movie, it's gonna be The Thing. Okay. Pan's Labyrinth. I can't even the, th the problem with Pan's Labyrinth. It, it's it's a, it's a good movie. It's a fantastic movie. It's just I don't know. Just, in terms of these three, what I what I'd want to see in terms of like a horror movie and a Halloween movie, probably the thing. Not probably, definitely the thing. Love Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, I get it, you. It's it's, and of course there's bias in the fact that I chose the thing, obviously. <laughs> but I really can't emphasize that enough on how good and how much Pan's Labyrinth surprised me with how visceral it was. Yeah. As as gory oh, yeah. as as gory as the thing was. And how still yet tasteful it was because it kind of fit the whole thing going on there. The gore, the gore, and the the there was more oomph in Pan's Labyrinth because of its more down to the earth feeling. But it's a bit of a toss up between Pan's Labyrinth and the thing. They're both really fucking good. And in terms of a movie I'd watch before going trick treating, it would it would definitely be Sleepy Hollow though. I guess it brings up the question though, right? What would be a Halloween movie that you wouldn't watch? Mainly, if I may also just point out. Because you just think that it's it's not quite what people crack it up to be, really. Basically, what are your, your choices for movies that a bunch of people, like, almost religiously will watch and say, Oh yeah, it's the best Halloween movie, it's great. But you honestly find it to be just a little overrated. Because, to me, I, I'm just gonna say it, I may or may not have put this topic down as something that we cover... Because I just wanted to just have an excuse to put it out there on the podcast around Halloween time. 
Um, I can't stand Hocus Pocus. I can't stand Hocus Pocus. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I'm an, on another planet when I say that. Because just everyone loves Hocus Pocus. Yeah. And I mean, I, 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 I get it. it. It's like literally taking place during Halloween. I get that. But like, you know, people say, oh, well, it's just a good Halloween movie. You know, it's, it's not the greatest movie ever, but it's like a good Halloween movie. Where it's just like, well, I, I guess, considering it's it's just taking place on Halloween and there's witches. But I don't know, man. I, I just, I'm sitting there, I'm like... Eh? And then, then, you know, some people say that it's like a good B movie, like a good guilty pleasure movie, because, yeah, it's it's a bit stupid at times. But I'm sitting there going like, I don't really think it's stupid enough. I actually think it's it could have maybe been more stupid. Because, frankly, again, I think what really made it, you know, not go all the way with being, like, super, like, ooh, ah, in terms of, like, spooky or, like, even... You know, kind of pushing the envelope for kids' movies, like what I would maybe expect DreamWorks to do, is it's a Disney movie. And mm-hmm. Disney is not going to go all the way with certain things, you know? I mean, there's that reoccurring, like, virgin joke, which, first off, if I'm not mistaken, main character's like 15, 16 or something like that. So yes. how he should really be, like, taunted for that is a little weird. <laughs> no, it's strange. It's strange. I'd say it's much in the same vein of saying it's a Halloween movie. Like if I say Batman is a Halloween movie because it takes place around Halloween. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I, I've I've kind of gone on a tangent with Hocus Pocus a bit. But I mean, for you guys, uh, what do you think is a overrated Halloween movie? Insidious. Insi- oh, okay. Insidious and The Conjuring. People like worship these yeah. movies as like the modern horror masterpieces. And I'm just like, eh, just another ghost story. Yeah. Like, yeah. I like things like The Exorcist, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot of the other ghost movies that I've tried to watch, they just haven't stuck for me mm-hmm. at all. And it's just me stuck here going, this this is it? Like, you have Paranormal Activity, which was hyped up when it originally came out, which is just like watching someone sleeping for fair chunks of it. Insidious is in that similar vein there. Scary movie if you count it. Oh. No, that's that's comedy. Nice try. <laughs> it's not to me. That movie's awful. It's horrifically awful. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I don't know how I even watched that one, but or what is what is that slasher movie? What which one is it? Hold on, it, it's coming to me. Ah, I I remember now. It's the like the the Jason stuff as well as the Michael Myers stuff because oh, they're Friday very the 13th. Uh, yeah they're very very samey they're very samey they're not that scary no not really and I guess uh, to me I I can also kind of lump into that because slashers they have to do something unique and not be predictable for me. Like, I, I recently watched the original Candyman, and I thought that was pretty all right. Because that Candyman's was different. pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is pretty nice. And it's also got some interesting commentary that was neat for the 90s and whatnot. So mm-hmm. it also has that angle, too. Um, it's just, yeah, Friday the 13th for me, unless it's one of the ones that's, like, really goofy with how, you know, uh, Jason goes about killing people. 
Are you then talking I'll watch about, it. <laughs> are you talking about Jason X? Hey, yes! That movie's a fucking masterpiece. Don't don't talk shit about Jason X. It's so different. It's in space. <laughs> I'm trying to remember one of the other uh, Friday the 13th, because there was another one where it just went full cheese. Where he fights Freddy Krueger. I mean, that one's also Again, great. That one's also great. I like that one. The one you're probably I really, really do. Though, I mean, there's he goes to Manhattan, which is fucking oh, awful. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. That yeah, one, the no, one it's... where people joked that he had, like, teleportation powers or something like that. Oh, okay, that's most of them, but... Okay, yeah, well, I mean, just... yeah. That one in particular was what really hammered home that joke. Mm-hmm. Or does he is... literally just have teleportation powers? I can't remember. Those he movies are not. so inconsistent. He he <laughs> does not, because his whole power is basically he just has a knife and will just walk towards them. Mm-hmm. It's just a casual walk towards them with a And with it's a also very difficult to kill him, I guess. Yes. Yeah, like I said, the only one that really matters is Jason X, because that, that thing's in fucking space. <laughs> That yeah. that is the that is the hottest take I've ever got on Friday the Thirteenth. That Jason disregard X the awesome. other movies, just Jason X. Yeah, I mean, come on, dude. Have you seen Uber Jason? I'm I'm pretty sure it's all, all right. All right, I I want your I want your next take then. Have okay. you seen Hellraiser? Yes. Why? I have. Is two. He, is your favorite one for Hellraiser also the space one? What are you talking about? There's wait, there's, there's a space one. Well, not there's the only... space one, not the space one, but the giant magical hotel where the entire hotel is a puzzle box. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no Hellraiser after the second one. People keep trying to convince me otherwise <laughs> that there's like apparently three to like eleven, <laughs> but I've I don't I think they're fucking silly. They're being silly, but there's I, no. I mean, for me, I also just kind of go with the idea that there's at least only one movie because I think that's the only one I can stomach. And the reason Hellraiser's in in one of those um, you know subgenres of horror, which is body horror, and I made an exception for the thing because the thing was obviously a very famous movie. Maybe not yep. when it came out, but after it got like a an audience and stuff like that, and it very much did transform you know the genre. Um, it's just body horror is one of those things where the thing is. I guess it does it in moderation to where I can stomach it because I'm really not one for body horror. Body horror is the one thing where I'm like, I, I'm not going to sit through this. I I get that. I get that. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where you got to know it's going to be there going in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially because later body horror movies, I wouldn't entirely say just Hellraiser. But, like, later body horror movies, that's kind of the only takeaway that you get is, like, oh, yeah, the effects for the body horror stuff was, like, really good. And I'm like, yeah, I, but, like, I, I don't like body horror. That's the I problem. I feel <laughs> your imaginary finger pointing at the Saw franchise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that makes sense. That's, that's like, a, it's very torture too. I don't, I'm not yeah. huge awe, to be honest. It's just, I don't know, almost, like, too sadistic in a way. And I just feel like it's the point of gratuity. Anyways, what's another movie franchise that we can shame people who watch? <laughs> uh, I mean, all of the paranormal activity stuff. Yeah. Oh, you know, I, I guess in a way, uh, this is more of like a singular movie, but uh, yes. I mean, the later movies are kind of bad. Um, Blair Witch does not quite hold up as it used to. That's true. Blair Witch, though, the thing with it, I've done a little research into it in mm-hmm. my free time because I was curious. 
Um, they didn't really tell the actors what they were exactly doing for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So like, what the when the girl is like losing her mind at the end, uh, she genuinely thought that they had unknowingly signed up for an actual like we're gonna kill you and record it like snuff film. Jesus, because they didn't Christ. you know tell them. Fuck that. So that's that's the thing about Blair Witch is it was such a low budget and it was so sketchy seeming to the actors themselves, and they weren't told a lot of the details. Mm-hmm. It's why the it's why the monster doesn't even show up because they didn't point the camera at it because they weren't told anything. Oh yeah, and I mean. When Blair Witch came out, I'm not going to deny, I'm almost certain that people were scared by it, and it was pretty frightening, especially because it still does feel like a bunch of people, you know, out in the woods, you know, and that is still a strength it has to this day. (laughs) It's just that's kind of most of what you get, aside from them reacting to noises and stuff like that, and today that doesn't really hold up it's the same thing of like how back when film was first becoming a thing people got startled by a a train coming towards the camera and thinking that the train was going to come out of the screen that it was being projected on it's in that same vein where it's just like well nowadays no one's going to do that they're just going to read it as oh that's a train coming towards the camera yeah the other thing too is that with Blair Witch the movie itself isn't necessarily the issue I have it's mm-hmm. the sort of legacy of shaky hand cam films that have followed it. Mm-hmm. Oh, fair enough. I feel like uh, Blair Witch and um, Cloverfield probably popularized that the most. They opened the they opened the portal to shaky cam hell. Yes, and I mean even then, like not even horror films in like a found footage format even are exclusively the ones that do the shaky cam. I mean, certain action movies really, really like the shaky cam. And maybe for action movies, it was a different culprit for that. But I mean, when I was watching Obi-Wan for the first time, God, the shaky cam is so obnoxious. May I may I suggest a, a movie if you really like shaky cam, Ian? May I suggest watching the latest Born Identity movie, like the last one, where there's a scene uh, where he climbs a fence and there's like 12 cuts? Oh no, see, that's not Born Identity. That was that's Taken 3. Taken and I three have seen that, that clip. Taken 3 that is whole, that? Um, yeah, and I've actually seen that one? whole scene. It was a whole chase scene yes. with um, Liam Neeson and a bunch of cops. And yes... That whole scene is like that. It is so disorienting. You go Wait. from here to there to there to there. It is awful. They very clearly what got some schmuck off the street to edit that movie. I remember what it was. With Born Identity, it was any single fight scene. Was that awful, shaky, snapping back and forth between like eight cameras nonsense. You're, you can't tell what's happening. I remember Batman Begins being pretty bad with uh, the quick cuts and shaky cam too. That's one aspect that, while I like Batman Begins, that part doesn't fully hold up. I getcha. But, yeah, Paranormal Activity, Blair Witch, don't really hold up as well. And frankly, for anyone that still sings the praises of them, I'm just like, I I don't know, man. I I, I think they just get a little too much credit nowadays. I'm not going to say that they aren't significant by any means. They most certainly are, and they have their place in movie history. It's just... 
you know, the, the, the luster that they had isn't quite there as it used to be. Yeah, it was a unique thing for its time. And the the most interesting part about those movies, like, uh, for example, that and Hannibal, Hannibal, Cannibal Holocaust is kind of like the impact of the, just them being made. I'm not sure if it would count as a horror movie, but um, anyone who unironically says a Serbian film is a good film, I I, I question. That Look, we don't highly fucking talk <laughs> about a Serbian film. Yeah. Are, are we throwing all the gratuitous movies out here and pointing fingers? If so, Go I'd for like it. to throw Bone Tomahawk up here as well. Oh, Bone Tomahawk! I feel like I've heard about that movie somewhere. It, it, it it's pretty grotesque at times. <laughs> There's one scene in particular where I, I would not be surprised if people shut off the movie and didn't finish it when it came up. I remember seeing that, and I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> I don't even know how I finished the movie. Uh, for anyone interested, you can uh, look up a description of what happens, but um, holy shit. <laughs> Please do look up a description of what happens in Bone Tomahawk before you watch it. Otherwise, you go in and it's like, ha, huh, funny cowboy movie. In fact, I think there are even people that are kind enough to say, here, when you reach this point in the runtime, just skip ahead to this point so that, you know, your imagination can fill in the blanks, because, holy shit, oh my god, <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty bad. Which is a shame, too, because, I mean, Bone Tomahawk is actually a pretty unique western, and pretty good in a lot of areas. And it has Kurt Russell again. So... Hey, that's worth a watch in my book. But yeah, those are our uh, list of um, uh, what we find to be overrated uh, spooky movies, whether they be Halloween-y or just horror in general. Yeah. And there's, there's always more. There's always more that we just can't think of because there's so many, but those are the ones we thought. Yeah. Of the head, you know? Yes, I'm, I'm an eternal critic. I have a list, a, a book of grudges of movies. A book just of flick through the pages. Uh, Saw has, like, six or seven too many movies. I'll certainly say that part. Most horror movies, series, have six or seven too many movies. Well, yeah, because uh, they make yeah. money. I know Nightmare on Elm Street, like, the sequels are fine because they just get more and more ridiculous and you just want to see, ah, oh, well, how does this character get killed and stuff like that, but... Okay. They stop being good after three and then it gets good for the last one, New Nightmare. But look, we're not here to argue about that, okay? <laughs> no we're not we are however here to tell you that we are going to be wrapping up now given that i think we've pretty much covered everything we want to talk about uh and going forward we will now return to our regularly scheduled programming but this has been our inciting moment indeed it has and until next time take care ladies and gentlemen and catch you on the flip side uh, bye farewell Adios.